This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Finally, Jesus Christ, it's been a mess this week. It's been a mess. My old MacBook Pro seems to have finally met its limits. So two days of trying to record and dealing with all that nonsense. And then getting here. New laptop. Seeing if it works. I've got two weeks to try and melt this thing to see if it'll work before I run out of time to return it. Due to some supply chain issues, I had to get a a little weaker MacBook than what I wanted, but it is what it is. And here we are. That's how committed I am to you guys. It's been a really weird week, one for me personally, but bigger than that. Just the, just the, the world at large, or the country at large. Um, no more masks in planes or airports, which is fun because I, I was actually enjoying walking through airports without a mask during the mask situation, uh, but didn't have the same luck while trapped on an airplane. But I'm so glad it's going to be able to walk around a very public, crowded area, and it feel normal. Still annoying and obnoxious, but in a normal way, right? The trips to the airport, especially after leaving Austin and being here in Denver, the Denver airport's huge. Of course, there is an underground Illuminati base there, um, which takes a priority. So there's always other kinds of construction going on. It's a, it's a, It's a burdensome experience, but to have to wear a mask for hours, <laughs> during that time is um, it, it just added too much, too much stress to the whole situation. It made traveling absolutely miserable. So we're done with that for now. We'll see. But the funny thing is like, we're not going to do a whole segment on this cause it's not really worth it. But um, the Biden administration is trying to appeal this decision, which is just, I don't understand why. And this is a bipartisan issue, but right now they're the party in power. I don't understand why the Democrats just can't take a win and be like, yeah, like take credit for it or something. I don't. It's all lies and bullshit, anyways. Like just like we support this decision. It's time to you know get back to normal. But um, that's not the case. <laughs> that's not. The, and I don't know who they're trying to appeal to because at this point we all know it is politics. Like who are you trying to appeal to? Are you that disconnected? And it seems like the Democratic establishment is actually that disconnected. We're going to talk about that a little bit when it comes to the 2024 primary and kind of the preliminary polling on um, who the top candidates are, which is adorable and ridiculous. In other news, that's not going to be covered in a full segment now. One, because I just couldn't really find the information, uh, not that I wasn't interested, but Florida has banned a substantial number of math books uh, for being accepted into their public school system. Most of those, I think it was like 71% of the ones submitted um, under fifth grade because of CRT related concerns. I don't understand really what they were getting at. I saw a few um, snippets, like quotes out of a book, but it didn't say what age group that was. So I couldn't really deem like whether or not it was appropriate based on my own kind of subjective reality that I live in. So there was some stuff in there about prostitution, but it was in a math book. It was just, it, it, it didn't really, it just seemed like kind of real world scenarios that people would be familiar with. 
it just depends on the age. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily appropriate for third graders, but I think kids in junior high can, it actually probably keep them more engaged because they feel like they're doing something edgy when they're doing math. So I think there's a lot of, for every two or three things that, that Florida seems to do well, they just, it reminds me of who conservatives are every quarter or so. I'm like, oh, here we go. But Disney's got itself in quite a situation here with Florida, and I think that's pretty interesting as well. So some stuff's going on there. I don't really get it. I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused slash concerned um, when it comes to banning math books for CRT-related stuff, but I could be completely wrong um, and just ignorant on the situation, and they could be some kind of subversive, cryptic, I, I don't know. But the idea that kids are going to take away, take away that much when it comes to examples given in a math book is, is I think kind of odd. Um, but as we, you know, you guys know my stance on, on indoctrination and things like that. So we'll get into that whenever we have a little more information, if it doesn't just like go by the wayside in the news cycle, I mean, shit, we could be in a situation. And when I look at something like that, I'm like, maybe it's routine that 50 or 70% of math books are, are, um, rejected. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know how that process works. I'm not in education. So, the numbers may mean one thing and they may be reported as one thing, but maybe won't actually mean anything at all. And that's highly likely. But we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about Jared Kushner. That's going to be fun. Again, the 2024 Dem primary. We're going to do a, a, a brief, well, it won't be brief, but we're going to cover just kind of NATO expansion, Russia, um, some different things going on there, what's happening with Ukraine, generally speaking, and what's happening here in response to what's happening in Ukraine. We got a new Pfizer doc release, which I'm going to let Kim Iverson uh, lead the way on. Of course, Twitter and Elon Musk. Brian Stelter gets clowned again. CNN Plus and the libs of TikTok situation. We're going to be diving into that pretty deep. And Tucker Carlson's new documentary, End of Man or End of Men. Um, the 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 trailer for this documentary is um, something. And we'll be breaking that down. Uh, it, it's one of those things where you're not going to get the full effect unless you watch it on video. So I highly recommend you go over to Politically Homeless on YouTube and subscribe for the full length video breaking down Tucker's new documentary. But with all that being said, I will say this. Um, jump into the Patreon. It really means a lot to me. It's a great way to support the channel, support independent creators like myself. I I just encourage you to do that. It actually lives of TikTok as a sub stack right now. So go support them as well. Um, do what you can to support independent creators. If you can, it really does help out a ton uh, when it comes to this kind of thing. I mean, it's not like we're stacking cash over here, but it does feel nice to, uh, to, to, to tack on a little bit to that, to that monthly revenue stream. And it really does a lot to help us keep this thing going again, just bought a new laptop for this show. Begrudgingly, Help me out here, guys. <laughs> Go join the Patreon, patreon.com slash politically homeless. The, the link is in the show notes. Now let's get to the state of things. All right. Man, it feels good to be back in the saddle. 2024 is going to be an interesting year. Now we have a while to get there. I mean, a lot can change in two years. A lot can change in two years. So we got to keep that in mind. But we're looking at a a really incredible red wave coming in 2022. 
in the fall of 20, this year, it's going to be a bloodbath uh, when it comes to Democrats, which to me is a good thing, right? That's what I voted for in Joe Biden. I wanted to see either him fulfill his promises, which I knew was unlikely, or the complete dismantling and crumbling of the Democratic Party as is, the Democratic establishment being uprooted um, like it should be, like it deserved to be. And that seems to be what's happening now. And of course, I know I understand people are frustrated with the fact that I voted for Biden, but for me on my end and where I'm looking at this thing, um, I'm actually relatively satisfied long term because this Democratic Party I've been, you know, dealing with as a Bernie Sanders supporter for eight years, um, has just been, or 10 years now, I guess, has just been beyond frustrating and the level of corruption is disgusting and I want to see it broken. I mean, that's what I was rooting for. So right now I'm seeing it broken. So in a certain way, I'm getting what I wanted and that's okay. I'm good with that. And we have this new article here from uh, the Washington Post. We're going to cover a lot of Washington Post today. The top 10 Democratic presidential candidates in 2024 ranked. This is really... (laughs) This shows the level of disconnection that we're dealing with within the Democratic Party. It's 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 chaos and embarrassment. It's it's bad. In late February, we were all preoccupied with the events elsewhere in the world, so you've forgiven us for having missed a very interesting poll about U.S. politics. The poll from YouGov asked about the 2024 Democratic presidential primary. Only 21% of Democrat-leaning voters said their choice was the incumbent President Joe Biden. That put him barely ahead of the 18% who said they weren't sure whom they supported. So he's barely edging out, not sure. (laughs) Vice President Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders each had 14%. So in this poll, we've got Bernie Sanders, who's 11 million years old and clearly not running again, at 14%, which is the same as the vice president, which is the heir apparent in the primary. Isn't that something? Is the, the, The guy that the establishment blocked out of any kind of role or candidacy, is tied with their sweetheart, Kamala Harris. Let that sink in. It says, this is not normal. We've seen some evidence that Democrats aren't sold on nominating President Joe Biden for a second term, including a poll in November showing a majority of Democrats didn't want him to run again. But lots of Republicans say the same about a repeat run for Donald Trump in 2024. Yet he's the clear front runner when you pit him against would-be opponents. Yeah. Absolutely he is. And that's also terrible for the country. So how about we get some other options that are, I don't know, younger than 78 years old. That would be fantastic. So let's go down and we'll just see what we've got here as far as the top 10 power rankings for potential 2024 nominees. Number 10, AOC. It's off to a bad start here. <laughs> she, has, she has done everything in her power to keep herself from serious consideration as a president, vice president, shit, I doubt she could even make it into the Senate in New York due to her actions. I mean, she's ostracized, one, anybody in the center with her rhetoric and ostracized everybody on the left based on her actions. So she's in between a rock and a hard place there. I don't know where she's going to get that support. Gavin Newsom, oh my God. Gavin Newsom. It says some California political waters have our watchers have noticed the governor seeming to weigh in more often in recent national political debates. And how is that working for you, Gavin Newsom? This dude, his he doesn't even know why he wants to be president. He just thinks he needs to be for some fucking reason. Absolute joke. Cory Booker did terrible in the primary. Not going to happen. 
Sherrod Brown, senator from Ohio. Now, this is somebody that is in a red state, so Democrats might have the logic, oh, he can win over a red state, um, maybe has a chance to win over some uh, centrist or swing voters, and maybe some Republican voters that don't support Trump. I don't see that happening again. You kind of played that card with Biden, and look how that's turned out. The D next to anybody's name is going to be toxic in 2024. That's my prediction. So if I was Sherrod Brown, I think that uh, I wouldn't run in 2024 due to the fact that you're up against insurmountable odds based on the behavior of the Democratic Party thus far. Roy Cooper, he might be the one leading contender you hear the least about because he's a mayor, or I mean a governor. Okay, we'll see about that. Haven't seen much about this dude. Amy motherfucking Klobuchar. The nothing burger, right? Which Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, they're all really interchangeable people. They don't really, they don't stand out they're unremarkable in many ways. I don't get it. Elizabeth Warren at number four. Elizabeth Warren, really? So she ostracized the Bernie camp within the Democratic Party by calling him a sexist, which was comical. And then she's too far to the left for the centrist. So she's out. That doesn't make any sense. Number three, Kamala Harris. This is interesting. Look at this ranking. Number three, Kamala Harris. We're dropping Harris down a slot this time. Being vice president is certainly a good launch pad, but it's not at all clear Harris has put it to good use. Her numbers are similar to Biden's, and she's done little to change the perception that harmed her 2020 campaign, campaign, including her ability to drive a message or inability to drive a message. Wow. Number two, Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. The transportation secretary moves ahead of Harris, but not with with any great conviction on our part. (laughs) Even the Washington Post doesn't have faith in this guy. Biden, number one. Having said all the above, things are often darkest before the president in a midterm election year. Dude, this guy doesn't know where the fuck he is half the time. Okay? He doesn't know where the fuck he is at least half the time. He doesn't even... It's it's, it's hard to even watch this dude try and make a sentence. And he's going to, you, you want a, a president that's in his 80s and cognitively disabled? Why? He even told Obama that he's going to run again. I don't know. Run, I don't even think he knows what he's running for. This is insane. This is this crazy talk. And now we look at the numbers here. Biden approval rating drops to 33%, hitting new low in key poll. Now, if we check this out here, total amongst adults, right? 33% approve, 54% disapprove, and 48% or four, four, excuse me, 43% of that is strong disapproval. 3% of the Republican Party, that's not a surprise. I don't understand this 76% of of Democrats approving. That's a that actually does surprise me. Um and only 12% disapproving. That that's a bit surprising to me, but what I really always look at with these polls is independence. And you have an approval rate of 26% among independents, which is lower than your total average, and a 56% disapproval by independents, which is higher than your disapproval rate total. So what we we have a, a, I mean, this is, the independent voter base is humongous. I mean, that's us. Everybody listening to this, I would consider um, an independent voter, right? If you find yourself here and you resonate with anything that I have to say, you're probably an independent voter that can, that will actually, will probably have a mixed ballot. And I think that's, that's the sign that you know what the fuck you're talking about and what you're looking at when you look at it, when you look at a ballot and you're 
you're not D all the way down or R all the way down. You're voting based on issues and who people are. And I see that in my audience a ton. So I look at this and think that's that's indicative of, of the real sentiment towards this person, right? Republicans are going to dislike Biden because he's Biden and he beat Trump or they think he beat Trump or maybe he didn't or he stole the election, whatever. A wash there. Democrats, the complete opposite of that. Independents, you're going to actually have some kind of free thought, which I think is super important. Um, now, if you look at the age breakdown within the 18 to 34, so these are young people that tend to lean Democrat, right? These ideologically kind of um, whether young people are ideologically like fanciful in the way that they think things out. They have this idea of utopian vision, whether they're young Republicans, young libertarians, young socialists, young Democrats. They all have this there's this childlike innocence and naivete in the way that they view the world that I'm actually kind of jealous of. It's it's, it's really beautiful in its way. It's like the first time you fall in love, like you think it's going to be forever, but it ends up being a giant shit show. And then later on, you're like really happy that it didn't happen. Right. That's kind of where a lot of these young voters are in this 18 to 34 now, that is a bigger bracket, but a 21% approval rating and a 58% disapproval rating among 18 to 34-year-olds. That says a ton. So these are the people that we're looking at here. And Kamala Harris's numbers are very similar to this. Um, and it's it's I don't understand what you're going to do. Are you going to have Pete Buttigieg break out and be some kind of like star? I don't see that happening. I don't at all see that happening. And what I think here, what I think is really amazing about all this. And again, what I am rooting for is a hostile takeover of the democratic party by an outsider, right? My number one pick Mark Cuban. Think about that. Put yourself in that, right? Say Trump ran again. Mark Cuban is the only person that I think could go head to head with Trump. Say, Hey, I started with less money than you and have more money than you. We don't want to talk about business, right? And is relatively rational and has put his money where his mouth is in creating a pharmaceutical company that offers um, life-saving drugs at a simple 15% markup, right? Taking leukemia drugs from 7000 some odd dollars a month to $60 a month or $40 a month. That's incredible. I mean, he did that on his own. And Trump couldn't do that during his entirety of office. He just talked about insulin, but nothing ever really changed, right? The guy's a huckster. He's a fraud. His presidency went about as well as truth social is going, right? So we're there. So I think right now there have to be people out there, prominent figures in our country that are looking at the Democratic Party saying now is the time for a takeover, a complete realignment of the Democratic Party. And it will probably move populist and probably be focused on things that actually matter and not kneeling in fucking kente cloth. So... That's what I'm hoping for. And if Mark Cuban's too white, maybe Shamath Polyhapatia, right? Even though he's an immigrant, I don't really know how that all works. We'll see. But it's a golden opportunity for somebody, right? In the same way that Trump hijacked the Republican Party and still has that party by the balls, somebody can hijack the Democratic Party right now, right? The DMC, DNC has never been less powerful. The, the Democratic Party has never been less liked. We need a hero. We need a savior, in the Democratic Party. Somebody's rational and left of center, right? Somebody who is charismatic and action-oriented. That's what we need in the Democratic Party. And I don't mean we as in Democrats. I mean we as in the American people because when you have robust parties that resonate with large swaths of the American population and they have to compete with one another over ideas and policy, we all benefit from that. Because you have competing ideas for how to grow and make this country a better place. 
right? Whereas what you have now is Democrats who have really bad ideas and Republicans who have no ideas at all. So we've got the worst of both worlds here. The people that are supposed to push progress are pushing nonsense. And the people that are supposed to conserve the heart of the nation are complacent and spending their time doing nonsense and culture war bullshit. So we're there. We're entrenched in a culture war. And somebody can come in, hijack this motherfucker, and rise above it. That's what I would love to see. That's my utopian vision. But um, maybe that's just me. Let me know. Well, Trump family fuckery is nothing new or nothing rare. And if you have two brain cells to rub together, you can see that this is commonplace inside the Trump family and outside the Trump family, just in our politics in general. But this one really stood out to me. I want to show you this, guys, because Jared Kushner is somebody that I um, despise with every inch of my being. And he has just taken $2 billion from a group that I also despise with every inch of my being, the Saudi royal family before giving billions to Jared Kushner Saudi investment fund had big doubts before committing 2 billion to Mr. Kushner's fledgling firm officials have of the fund led by Saudi crown prince questioned taking such a big risk six months after leaving the white house Jared Kushner secured a 2 billion dollar investment from a fund led by Saudi crown prince and a close ally during the Trump administration despite objections from the fund's advisors over the merits of the deal the panel that screens investments for the main Saudi sovereign wealth fund cited concerns about the proposed deal with Mr. Kushner's newly formed private equity firm, Affinity Partners. Previously undisclosed documents show that these those objections included the inexperience of Affinity Fund management and the possibility that the kingdom would be responsible for the bulk of the investment and risk due diligence on the fledgling firm's operations that found them unsatisfactory in all aspects, a proposed asset management fee that seemed excessive and public relations risks from Mr. Kushner's prior role as a senior advisor and his father-in-law, former President Donald J. Trump's um, administration, according to minutes from the panel's meeting last June 3rd, 30th. Excuse me. But days later, the full board of the $620 billion public investment fund led by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler and beneficiary of Mr. Kushner's support when he worked as a White House advisor, overruled the panel. So MBS overruled the panel here, the advisor panel, that has to do with this $620 billion public investment fund for Saudi Arabia. Ethics experts say that such a deal creates the appearance of potential uh, payback for Kushner's actions in the White House or a bid for future favor if Mr. if Mr. Trump seeks to win another presidential term in 2024. Mr. Kushner played a leading role inside the Trump administration defending Crowd Pence Muhammad after U.S. intelligence agencies concluded he had approved the 2018 killing and dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi, a Saudi columnist for the Washington Post and resident of Virginia who had criticized the kingdom's rulers. Okay, so we have a tyrannical murderer here, right? That's going on. He's giving $2 billion to an administration official for the Trump White House, and not just one. Mnuchin was in there too. But this really strikes a nerve with me because of all of the outrage around Hunter Biden, which is well-deserved, by the way the son of the president or vice president trading on their name and access with nefarious actors in China or Ukraine. 
um, is bad. And also, son-in-laws of presidents, especially if they work in the administration, doing deals with who he got close to (laughs) while working for the administration, especially when that deal accounts for $2 billion of the $2.5 billion in the fund. Right? So an overwhelming majority of the fund is this $2 billion that they got from the Saudi investment fund. Now, we have a lot to look at here and a lot to think about, but what I wanted to point out, in Washington, Mr. Kushner had also helped broker a $110 billion in weapon sales to Saudi Arabia over 10 years. He helped protect those and other weapons deals from congressional outrage over the murder of Mr. Khashoggi and the humanitarian catastrophe created by the Saudi-led military intervention in Yemen. So he secured their weapons deals, right? So now he's a tool of Saudi Arabia, and he's a tool of the military-industrial complex. That's Jared Kushner. So we're in this situation where I, I struggle to find what to say about this. Is this is this is this better or worse than what happened with Hunter Biden? Why is this not a, a conversation on on Tucker Carlson tonight? Right? He talks about elites and and um, and corruption and has a semi populist message. Why isn't this a topic of conversation? I'd like to I'd like to see that. I mean, Tucker has access. Why doesn't he have a conversation with Kushner about the ethics of this deal? And the thing that really upsets me, even more so than this shady fucking corrupt deal, is that this is legal and normal for people who work in an administration to use their connections to go create an investment fund after term. It happens often. It's normal, but that doesn't mean it's right. Actually, that's the problem. And when you work for an administration that claimed to drain the swamp, it doesn't really seem like that was the that was the reality of the situation. What it seems like is that the swap just got rebranded and went through a rebrand. Now they have red hats. It doesn't really change anything. The swamp still exists. It's deeper than ever. But I guess it's not about actions. It's not about reality. It's about marketing. It's about illusion. It's about perception. And um, until we elect somebody who actually has principles, right, or the ability to use their mind. Um, <laughs> we've been in a clown show. It's eight years now of just clown shows. It's insane. Until we do that, this is going to be our normal. This is going to be our normal. And that's upsetting. It's depressing. And it's hard to keep faith in really anyone when everywhere you turn, you're being lied to, manipulated, and corruption is just running rampant through every facet of our political structure. Drain the swamp, huh? Adorable. So there's a lot going on in Ukraine right now. A lot of moving parts going on in that whole region and Europe in general. It's a lot, a lot of happening. Mary Pole's gotten hammered. Donbass is experiencing shelling. Um, Ukraine's using cluster munitions. It's, it's, it's not good, guys. It's really not good at all. Um, and we've got some other things happening that are also quite troubling. It says here, Russia warns Finland and Sweden against considering NATO membership. So right now we're in a situation where it's very possible slash likely that um, Finland and Sweden are going to apply for NATO membership. And if that happens, it's very likely to be approved. Now, 
if most of us like me are uh, geographically challenged here, we can see that Sweden doesn't share a border um, with Russia, but Finland does a border that's similar to the size of the one they share with Ukraine. So that's probably more troubling to Russia than the Sweden situation. So this is tough, right? This NATO expansion, depending on where you land on this, we can all say that what Putin is doing um, is wrong, right? Killing civilians is wrong. Uh, What Ukraine was doing to the Donbass before this for the past eight years was wrong. What Saudi Arabia is doing in Yemen is wrong. Iraq, Afghanistan, America, wrong. Like, we don't don't need to have a conversation necessarily about, like, the wrongness or the scale of evil that is Vladimir Putin. That's not super productive in my opinion. But when we look at this and we think about more NATO expansion, more expansion to the borders of Russia, it seems like uh, there's a couple ways to look at it, in my opinion. One, it Putin's objective here seems to have backfired, right? In trying to quash NATO expansion on his border, um, he seems to have expanded it. I don't know if that's actually a good thing for anybody. It's not good for Russia, to be sure, but that's not really the priority, right? We're Americans. We work about American interests. I don't think it's actually productive for American interests at all either. It does benefit Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, these people, because those new NATO countries will have a requirement to spend a certain amount of their GDP on weapons, and uh, that's that's good for them, right? And many of our politicians who hold stock in those companies, it's good for them as well. That said, the utility of NATO at this point doesn't seem to make that much sense to me. It just, I don't, I don't, this is something where I actually agree with Trump. I feel like we bear the brunt of that financially, And we will continue to do that. And the larger it gets, the more financial obligation we're going to have. And it may not be structured that way, but that's the reality of the situation. And I am concerned about the amount of money we spend on war, um, quote-unquote defense, right? And this is really hard to see for me. It's really hard to see this and be like, this is just going to instigate and, and push more and more up against a country that has more nuclear weapons than we do and hypersonic missiles, right? I, I, I just can't wrap my mind around the logic of this. Um, I think that defense treaties regionally would be a good idea for Europe. I don't understand why we need to get involved in that. And I feel like in many ways we brought this to Ukraine. And I don't think it's, it's not the United States' fault explicitly, but we did bring this to Ukraine in some ways. And that's a very defensible stance. So we go from there um, and we look at what's happening in Russia as far as sanctions and how effective those have been. It says here, Russia reaps huge oil and gas profits despite Western sanctions. Russia is reaping massive windfall from oil and gas exports, despite the West sweeping sanctions over Russian, uh, over the Ukrainian invasion. Thanks to a lucrative cocktail of stiff prices, surging demand, and trade loopholes. So what really happened here is we sanctioned Russia, right? We quit taking their oil, a bunch of other places did as well, which drove already high crude oil prices even higher on the global market, which is where oil is traded. And since not every other country in the fucking world aligned with us in these sanctions, 
we actually increase the profit margins for Russian oil and gas exports. So they've made more money on less production and less volume, higher margins because of our sanctions. So there's that, right? Simple math. Could have told you that was going to happen, but simple math is apparently outside of the realm of, uh, of, of, of capacity for our politicians. And then one more step. Um, the Pentagon asked the top eight U.S. weapons makers to meet on Ukraine at the Pentagon. So <sighs> April 12th, the Pentagon will host leaders from the top eight weapons manufacturers on Wednesday to discuss the industry's capacity to meet Ukraine's weapons needs if the war in with Russia last year's two people familiar with the meeting said on Tuesday. Demand for weapons has shot up after Russia's invasion on February 24th spurred U.S. and allied weapons transfers to Ukraine. Resupplying as well as planning for a longer war is expected to be discussed at the meeting, the sources told Reuters, on conditions of anonymity. So... We've got this here, so now where are the incentives, right? What are the incentive structures now? Given everything we've looked at, everything that's happened so far, yes, what's happening in Ukraine is terrible. It doesn't mean Ukraine is a good place. It doesn't mean that Zelensky is not corrupt. But what's happening there to the civilians is terrible. We said that a million times to our blue in the face on this show. So now let's zoom out and think about where the incentives are. And who's being hurt? I would say that the incentives are pointing towards reaping massive profits off of chaos. And the people that are actually getting harmed financially are the everyday working class citizens of the United States. And in way more ways than financially, structurally, shit, as far as their livelihood goes, the everyday working class citizens of Ukraine and Russia. So just like the trend seems to continue, right? Just like everything else, those at the top will benefit and reap the rewards and everyone else will suffer. And that seems to be the structure of our shared reality at this time. But we always have to think about it as a game of incentives, right? Where's the money going? Follow the money. Where are the incentives pointing us? And that will tell you more about where things are going to go than what should happen or what is right. And that's a sad state of affairs, but it's, it's, it's our normal and it has been for quite some time. So there was a new Pfizer doc release that I thought was really interesting, and I went and found some articles on it, but Kim Iverson over at The Hill, which is really the only reason that I watch Rising anymore. I know they're making some changes over there. Also a big fan of uh, Brianna Joy Gray. Uh, and Ryan Grimm, who is now going to be at Breaking Point. So... <laughs> Crystal and Sager poached Ryan Grimm from the Hill, which is just it's poetic irony. I love, I love that. And if you're into those kind of things, I'm sure you love it too. But I'm going to let's just play this radar here from Kim, um, and we can discuss afterwards. Round of Pfizer documents have dropped. This is part of the 340,000 some odd pages the FDA and Pfizer wanted to release over the course of several decades. 
But instead, the group requesting the documents sued and a judge ordered the FDA to make them available by the end of this year. Well, each round of documents is to be delivered on the first of each month. So this past April 1st, no joke, over 11,000 pages were released. Between these documents and another document released on March 24th to the group, a group called Public Health and Medical Professionals for Transparency, we've learned some bombshells. The first bombshell in the document is that natural immunity works and Pfizer knows it. The clinical trial data showed those with previous infection of COVID had no difference in outcome than those vaccinated. In the limited trial, none of the vaccinated nor those with previous infection resulted in severe disease defined by either the FDA or the CDC. They were broken up into two different groups. The FDA and the CDC define severe COVID slightly differently. The CDC roughly defines it as anyone needing hospitalization, whereas the FDA defines it as anyone needing supplemental oxygen. Either way, There were zero cases of severe COVID in the natural immunity group, whether they were vaccinated or not. Their own data also showed that natural immunity was statistically identical to the vaccine against infection. That's what their data showed. Yet rather than say people with natural immunity don't seem to need the vaccine, which is what they've been saying in Europe, for example, Pfizer instead spun their conclusion and said, quote, final efficacy results show that the vaccine provided protection against COVID-19 and participants with or without evidence of prior infection with SARS-CoV-2. Another revelation from the documents was that adverse reactions were more frequent and more severe in younger groups. The document reads, quote, reactogenicity and adverse events were generally milder and less frequent in participants in the older group compared with younger group and overall tended to increase with increasing vaccine dose. Older is defined as 55 and older and the study itself was for 16 and above. So the side effects were more frequent and more severe in people under 55, even though we know the younger you are, the less likely you're to experience severe COVID. According to The Lancet, 16-year-olds have a 99.993% chance of surviving COVID. A 30-year-old is at 99.943%. At 50, their survivability is 99.572%. Only once you hit 60 does it drop below 99%. A document procured during the dump was a consent form for a children's clinical trial of the Pfizer vaccine. The form is from December 15th, 2021, so only 15 weeks ago. And it interestingly states some facts that have been labeled by the mainstream media as being misinformation. The consent form lists several possible side effects, including myocarditis, which many of us know about. But the document says the rate of occurrence is 10 in 100,000 people. And they don't specify age or gender. So that's much higher than previously reported rates of 1 in 50,000 people, even then, We know the bulk of those cases are in younger males. So when controlling for age and gender, the risk significantly increases. The consent form also states, quote, the effects of the COVID-19 vaccine on sperm, a pregnancy, a fetus, or a nursing child are not known. And this is something that has caused a lot of younger women and parents of teen girls hesitation, which they were demonized over. And people have worried that there could be long-term side effects affecting fertility. Despite these scientists admitting in this consent form that they simply do not know, it has been espoused as fact that the vaccines don't have any adverse effects on reproduction whatsoever. But the fact is, we simply don't know. Another data, another idea condemned as a conspiracy theory is what's called an ADE response, antibody-dependent reaction. 
This is when a vaccine ends up triggering a worse illness than what the person would normally experience. And doctors like Robert Malone, who have been sounding the alarm of this as a possible reaction to mRNA vaccines, have been demonized and smeared, yet the consent form clearly states, quote, although not seen to date, it cannot yet be ruled out that the study vaccine could make a later COVID-19 illness more severe. So if it were really not even something to be concerned about, the form wouldn't even bring it up. Yet here it is saying they can't rule it out yet. One other interesting admission from the document dump is this statement, quote, clinical laboratory evaluations showed a transient decrease in lymphocytes that was observed in all age and dose groups after dose one, which resolved within approximately one week. So in plain English, this means white blood cell counts dropped in that one week after the first dose of the vaccine. So this is leaving a person with a weakened immune system for a week after getting the first dose of the vaccine. So there's a lot of things that we could speculate from this, like is this why we saw sudden spikes in cases in countries that began mass vaccination campaigns (laughs) where people weakened immune systems, where they all catching the virus a lot uh, more vulnerable to catching the virus suddenly for that little period of time. Also, uh, since people weren't even considered partially vaccinated until a week or so after getting the dose, did this skew the infection rate? If you got a bunch of immunocompromised people uh, for that week running around and then catching the virus and then they're considered unvaccinated, is that fair? These are questions that that kind of leads us towards. But in the least, it seems like this would be good information for people to know about. Wouldn't you want to know that your immune system is perhaps compromised for a week? You'd maybe be more careful. We're at least learning about it now, even though we didn't know about it before. But now we're learning about it because of the data the FDA and Pfizer didn't want released. We're finally seeing it. I love Kim. I love Kim. Thank you so much, Kim, for doing that. Uh, tag her in this post if you can. So uh, Kim's awesome. And when we're looking at this thing, it's like, all right, just run through the, the big hits here. Natural immunity is better than vaccination when it comes to um, not getting the virus again. Okay. Your immune system is depressed after getting vaccination for a week. That's not good. Uh, we don't really know. We don't know what happens if you're pregnant, if you're trying to get pregnant, what happens with your fertility, what happens, any of those things, right? Sperm counts, none of that stuff is known. So you can't say for a fact that it doesn't damage those things, and maybe it doesn't. It's very likely that it doesn't, but it could, and we had never had that conversation. We were going to have to wait 70 years <laughs> or some shit like this, or no, 50 years, excuse me, 50 years, my bad, to find this out. We were going to have to wait 50 years to figure this out. Now, these are all things, right? These are all things that you could intuit from what we knew about this virus, right? It's a coronavirus. It's going to behave probably like a coronavirus does. That seems to track. Um, If you're young and healthy, you're probably, probably not worth it for you. These are now, this is confirmed by Pfizer documentation. This isn't, this isn't speculation. This isn't misinformation. This is just what it is, you know? And I'm glad that I personally had the sneaking suspicion that the likelihood of me having an adverse reaction from the vaccine was probably as high, if not higher, than me having an adverse reaction to COVID itself. So I really appreciate Kim putting herself out there, and I actually appreciate The Hill for letting her do this. I mean, as a, as a semi-mainstream outlet um, that tends to follow the party line there, 
they've done a good job of letting her loose and letting her say what she wants to do. I'm sure that was a condition of her going over to the Hill and working for rising, but really just a lot of uh, respect and admiration for what she's able to do over there uh, and the freedom to do so and keeping a cool head when it comes to this kind of stuff. Really good, really great to see this becoming a thing. Now, the thing is we're so deep in a culture war and, and indicative of a culture war is changing topics every two weeks or so um, to fuel more outrage and keep the outrage machine going that I think a lot of this stuff may just go unnoticed and we're not going to get an apology or any kind of like um, any kind of accountability, which is a theme that we talk about on the show, just a lack of accountability all over the place. But it really does. It upsets me, but at the same time, I am uh, I'm grateful for my life experience and how it led me to be hypercritical of, of the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it's, I've seen the fuckery happen over and over and over again, whether that be when I was writing um, papers on, on how we have Big Macs and supersize here, right? Which other countries don't have and how that fuels the obesity epidemic, which fuels the big pharma profit centers. It's just, it's a, it's a continual chain of bullshit. I mean, from our agricultural system to our healthcare system, all these things have been propped up on people being fat and misinformed. That's how they exist at the rate that they do. And to create a public that is not misinformed and is not ignorant when it comes to their own health would be to crater those industries in their modern form. And they would have to take on a form that was more responsible. And that's just not the American way. That is not the American way. Okay, we're going to talk later on about Tucker Carlson's uh, new documentary about the end of men and testosterone dropping and sperm counts and all these things. But we have to also acknowledge that's a product of the economic structure that we put in place in this country, whether you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, you want to say it's not free market capitalism. Okay. Whatever the fuck it is. I don't need to play semantics with you guys. It's led to this. The things that are allowed to be in our food, the things that we're allowed to are encouraged to inject ourselves with, right? The complete, um, ignoring of the problems that can happen as downstream effects of obesity, Right? Drinking, smoking, drug use. Like we have uh, numerous health epidemics in this country that are worse than what COVID was at its worst. So I really appreciate Kim again for doing this. I wanted to share this with you guys. It's important to keep up with this stuff. I'll keep up with this stuff as they continue to leak things or not leak, share things on the first of each month. Um, but good stuff here, Kim. Thank you so much. And um, it, it feels good to be uh, vindicated in a, in a, in a, small way by transparency. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. Here's the thing, guys. They've made this beverage. You've heard me talk about it before right here. Maybe you've put it in your mouth and maybe you haven't. I don't know. But I can tell you that your life would be exponentially better if you did. Right? There's a certain level of moisture that needs to be um, maintained within the body. It's not commonly referred to as hydration. And it's critically important for all kinds of functions of life. Actually, you can die of dehydration. May not have known that. And what they've done with Element over from Elemental Labs, founded by Rob Wolf, the pioneer of paleo, um, what they've done is create these delicious, sugar-free, salty beverage packets. Right? You mix them in your water. You mix it up. It's good. Here, I mean, here's, what, here's the ingredients. Salt, citric acid, magnesium malate, potassium chloride, natural flavors, and stevia leaf extract. That's not much. 
There's not much going on in there, but it's fantastic. And it increases the amount of water you're able to absorb. It increases your hydration. It makes you much more efficient at getting hydrated. It's also delicious, which makes it more palatable. I mean, it is delicious, which is more palatable, which leads to you drinking more water. So it's on both ends. One, the absorption is better. Two, you're drinking more water because it's really fucking good. And if you're drinking like sports drinks or sodas, if you're doing any of that shit, the palatability of this, the tastiness of this will help you substitute for that nonsense you're putting in your body. Okay. You don't need Gatorade. You don't need Powerade. You sure as fuck don't need Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, whatever this is, diet or not. Okay. You're better than that. An element is better than that. So go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders, and you can get a variety pack for just $5. All you have to do is cover shipping. It is a one-time purchase of zero. There's no obligation, but you get all the best flavors in one variety pack. And they did add watermelon and raspberry to that variety pack, which is a bomb. Those are two of my favorites, depending on the time of year. In the summer, I'm more of a lemon habanero guy, but for whatever reason in the spring here, I've been a raspberry and watermelon. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't ask questions, but um, it's damn good. Love this stuff, guys. Drinkelement.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes. Get some. We are also brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. I've been singing their praises for a while now, and I'm just super stoked that they are committed to sponsoring this show it means the world to me and they also just have incredible products which makes it really easy it's a nice symbiotic relationship here the the two supplements that i've been really uh focused in on and honed in on and made part of my daily ritual or nightly ritual is their nightcaps combined with their zen now nightcaps are a new supplement they just came out with they are a sleep focused supplement they've got 30 milligrams of cbd five milligrams of CBN and one and a half milligrams of THC. So if you take a bunch of these things, you can get high, but it is under the legal limit for shipping. So I combine the nightcap with the Zens at night and I've been sleeping awesome. And the difference is I, I never was good with melatonin. I would take melatonin, but it always made me feel groggy and I would be dragging ass the next day. That is not the feeling I get with these nightcaps and Zen. Um, super, super subtle, but also really impactful as far as like you just wake up feeling like you're rested. And that's just something that I think a lot of us kind of lose track of. We're watching TV at night and looking at our phones all day, our sleep. And it's just, it's a slow burn. It's death by a thousand cuts. And when you get that, get that good night of sleep, that good night of sleep in a dark, cool room with a little bit of supplementation, it's a fucking game changer. And that's why I just keep, keep talking about nightcaps and Zen. That combination is fantastic. So go to curednutrition.com. You can use promo code homeless to get 10% off of your order. Make sure to click that link in the show notes to get there because that lets them know that you came from this show. And there's a ton of other stuff on here, guys. I mean, of course, I'm talking about the nightcaps and Zen, but they've got a salve that I was working that was that's really really good. If you have any sore muscles or kind of uh, muscle skeletal injuries, anything like that, it's really really great stuff. They've got dog treats, even and they they put a lot of the supplements that are commonly taken together into bundles to make it easier for you. You can subscribe uh, and and go ahead and select when you want your deliveries to happen. It's an amazing company, guys. CuredNutrition.com promo code homeless ten percent off of your entire order. Do it. Do it for yourself. Quality over quantity with this stuff. I think it was something like 75% of CBD companies have been 
proven to be lying about the the nutrient quality and density within their products, that's not what you're going to get from Cured. They have a lot of integrity, amazing people, and amazing products. CuredNutrition.com, promo code HOMELESS for that 10% off. Get you some, and now let's get back to the show. Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter and take that bitch private has is just brought about a slew of ridiculous takes. Um, it's been it's been quite a ride over the past week, just like watching this whole thing play out. He offered to buy it at uh, fifty four twenty, um, which is hilarious, and it is four twenty today as we record this, so that's even better. Um, and he's got backup contingencies here as well, so we're in the situation where it's like, all right, this could be good. Now, I do want to kind of state my thoughts on this off the jump before we get into these ridiculous takes. Um, I think this is a net positive for Twitter um, discourse in general. The big test will be if Elon takes it private and he still allows like a pro-union Tesla page or somebody that criticizes the sourcing of minerals for Tesla. Like he's going to need to leave all that stuff out there. I think that he is a free speech absolutist, like he said. People say, well, he blocked this person for, it's like, that's not the same thing as limiting free speech, right? Just because you don't want to hear somebody's shit doesn't mean that you're limiting their free speech. You're not taking them off the platform. That's a much different thing. And you've seen these people, this outcry for billionaires owning public discourse, but they don't really give a shit that like The Intercept, Washington Post, all these outlets are owned by billionaires. And that's been a trend over the past 10 years or so, is these billionaires just buying up news outlets. And they're not doing that for the money because these things don't make that much money. That's not at all why they're doing it. They're doing it for influence. They're doing it to craft narratives, and that's where they're at. At least when you have Twitter, you have, you're have you creating an environment for discourse, debate, conversation, information sharing. It's not filtered through ju- fake journalists and editors, like at the Washington Post and you know, like Taylor Lorenz. Like, this isn't what that is. This is actual real people sharing their thoughts. I love the idea that he brought forward about being able to be verified um, – without being a famous person, right? So getting your blue check mark for being a real person, not for being um, a public figure. That's a great idea. That's going to minimize bots and things like that. And I think that's beautiful. But as I alluded to, we've got some really interesting takes here. And I want to share this one with you from Mika Brzezinski. My buddy Liam Out Loud on Instagram shared this with me. um, And I just love it. It's just, it's just so telling. Who were Trump voters and are still Trump supporters, they go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts, and it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the issues, uh, Yamish is right. He's doing exactly what he said. It's right. It's. Let's, let's do that again. Trump One more time. One more time. And are still Trump supporters. They go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If okay, so he could con- he could undermine the messaging so much that he could control what people think, which is their job. That's absolutely batshit crazy. 
right? By allowing free speech on a platform, you're de facto trying not to control what people think. You're trying not to craft narratives, trying to share information. And just like the world we live in, politics, unemployment, economics, these things are all complicated. And there's lots of takes that are valued and valuable, right? I think that socialists have a point as much as Peter Schiff has a point sometimes. And it's really interesting to see those kind of ideas go head to head. And what that allows you to do is make your own mind up, right? It let, free speech allows you the capacity for free thought. The more options you have to choose from, and this is a really interesting kind of take, and I highly recommend everybody. Sam Harris and I have deviated as far as how we see the world uh, in recent years, but his book, Free Will, does an amazing job of breaking down the limits of our own free will, and they do exist. They absolutely exist. Things cannot occur to you to be chosen if you've never experienced them, and you can only choose things that occur to you to be chosen. So your free will is de facto limited by your experience in the world. And something that Twitter does, for the good, better or worse, is allow people to experience different ideas and concepts and put those in their arsenal of ideas that are, that are there to be chosen and sourced from. And that's a beautiful thing. That's amazing. That, that's one of the founding principles of this country that made this place great. And it's been, it's been under threat. I mean, I hate to say that. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it is. I mean, shit, I've had to consider, like, do I even really want to do this thing that I'm doing anymore because of the amount of content suppression that I have to deal with? And all I'm trying to do is share some perspective and do my thing, and here we are, and I have to, I have to fight an uphill battle where I have to just quit posting on Instagram for a week because, well, they're, shut, they're, they're, they're throttling me back, right? And just today, I started seeing the numbers tick back up again, and I'm like, oh, I'm off the shadow ban list after two weeks. Great. I mean, that's, that's, that shouldn't be the way it is. That should not be the way it is. And you have things like the Hunter Biden story coming out on Twitter. I mean, getting suppressed, even though it was confirmed, and it was pretty straightforward that it was confirmed. You could confirm that shit in like 10 minutes as a real journalist, which Glenn Greenwald did. So it, there's a lot to think about here and a lot to to digest. But thinking about her saying, well, he can he, he can change, he can d- decide how people think, and that's our job. Come on, Nika. Like, really? And then you got people like this guy over at The Guardian Robert Reich, Elon Musk's vision for the internet is dangerous nonsense. Um, what? The majority of the American people agree with this, agree with the principle of free speech, okay? And like open discourse and do want to learn, okay? Now, the 10% on either side that are crazy nut jobs, the people that lives of TikTok posts and the people who run that page, right, on the extremes, they're not really interested in listening to anybody. But for the rest of us, in the delightful middle here, where we embrace nuance and disagreements, we like to see those kind of things. And we're a big part of this country. And if this was a ballot initiative on a, on a national scale, I would imagine that many people would say, hey, free speech is really important on the internet. So that's odd. And then you have this here, Elon Musk's paradoxical vision of running Twitter, less democracy, more freedom. That is an oxymoron, my dude. Like that is, that makes Matt Pierce, bro, more freedom is the product of democracy, bro. What are we doing here? Less democracy, more freedom. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. Now, Twitter has implemented this poison pill where they would dilute the shares and make it nearly impossible uh, for Musk to make it happen. But Musk, of course, with an ace up his sleeve here. Musk hints at a Tinder offer for Twitter in another cryptic tweet. He says, blank is the night. 
which could be tonight is the night or Tinder is the night, which is a reference to a um, Scott Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald novel, which I have not read and don't know anything about, but very cryptic and very cute, Elon. I like it. It says, perhaps Musk was referring to F. Scott Fitzgerald's novel, Tinder is the Night. Some are speculating, or it could mean tonight is the night. As others are asking, tonight could be referring to Wednesday, April 20th, or 420, which is a nod to cannabis culture. What's up? <laughs> Whether the case, whatever the case, observers of the Musk Twitter back and forth believe Musk could launch a Tinder offer on Twitter if the social media company's board won't accept his offer of $43 billion to take the cup to take Twitter private. Musk's latest tweet follows one he made over the weekend in which he tweeted out a lyric from Elvis Presley's hit, Love Me Tinder. Musk has offered to buy Twitter for $54.20 a share, saying it is the it is his best and final offer, and adding that if the board didn't accept it, he likely would sell his stock. If, it, if the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, door, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. A Tinder offer would bypass... Um, Twitter's board and appeal directly to shareholders um, to tender or sell their stock to Musk, which I would very much do. I do own some stock and t- in Twitter, and I would sell it to Musk for fifty four twenty. I'd be reasonably happy with that. Uh, I think that'd be like a twenty five percent return. Which I did this all recently, so <laughs> that's where we're at with that. Um, I think this is really good, man. I think this is like this is what I'm talking about with like hostile takeovers. Like, there's so much instability right now. Chaos is a ladder. Littlefinger, Game of Thrones, chaos is a ladder, okay? And if you position yourself right, you can take advantage of that. And that's what people like Elon are doing right now. There's a lot of chaos and instability. And what our world is crying out for is structure and transparency, right? Real structure that leads to real progress, not fake progressive progress, but real progress. And stability and transparency in what the rules are, which seem to change based on what's happening in the world. Well, the rules are different now. It's like, no, 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 no. We need transparency. And open sourcing the algorithm and moderation strategy for Twitter is a incredibly powerful precedent to set. That should be the standard. That should be fucking law. If you're going to be the platform that is the de facto town square, the way that you moderate content should be open source and open to criticism. And Elon will do that. Do I think that Elon is is exempt from criticism? Absolutely not. I think he's done some shady shit, as have every single billionaire that exists. But this is a net win for the people. And that's why I'm behind it. It is a net win for the people. And it is, you're seeing this public outcry, which people will say is fringe, but it is very much not an outcry saying, I want to be able to speak my mind openly and not be suppressed, shut down, deplatformed unjustly. That's what we want. That's it. If you're doxing people or threatening violence, yeah, you deserve to get fucking deplatformed. Right? But... Outside of that, there's not really much. There's not really much justification for the the way that the, the, the moderation has been handled, especially over the past couple of years. It's just gotten so fucking bad. 
And for people like me, I mean, I hear people say this all the time. It's like, like Crystal and Saga said this on Breaking Points. Like, the, can you imagine be, trying to be a political commentator and starting now? And I was like, yeah, bro, I can. I absolutely can. And it's fucking brutal. It is fucking brutal trying to grow an audience, do a thing, stay true to yourself in a nonpartisan outlet. If I went one way or the other, if I went full fucking lefty or full fucking MAGA, I could grow an audience tomorrow. But I wouldn't be serving you or myself well because I'd be full of shit and I'd be a fucking grifter. And I have zero tolerance for grifters in my life. And I do have some principles. So seeing an environment where I'm allowed to succeed without having to fight a strenuous uphill battle with every piece of content that I post is really enticing to me. So again, maybe I'm biased here, but I think this is a net win for the people of this country and the world, to be honest with you. So we'll see how it goes. My support's behind you, Elon. You don't know who I am. I'm sure you don't care, but I got your back, dog. Brian Stelter just seems to be getting clowned over and over and over again lately, and I love every second of it. we got a few uh, Yale researchers here talking about partisan filtering on different news outlets, and let's just see how this goes for old Brian Stelty. So, Josh, you all call this partisan coverage filtering, um, and basically you're proving what we've sensed for a while, which is Fox viewers are in the dark about bad news for the GOP. That's right. Fox and CNN cover different issues, and Fox News predominantly covers issues that, that make the GOP look good and, and make Democrats look bad. And, and on the flip side, CNN en- engages in this partisan coverage filtering as, as well that we find. For example, during this time, the Abraham Accords were signed, and these were the agreements where Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain signed a, a major peace agreement. And we see that Fox News covered this really major accomplishment about 15 times more than, than CNN did. So we established both networks are, are really engaging in this partisan coverage filtering. It's, it's not about one side. It's about the media writ large. I think you're engaging in some both sides in there, Josh. Not trying to lay out a, a moral equivalency. It's, it's not about what an objective standard is. It's really about how all networks do engage in this. And in order for viewers to get a, a realistic picture of the world, we, we need viewers to see all types of information. And unfortunately, what we find in this study is that the viewers don't want to engage in, in watching all sides. So as David mentioned, we see that viewers, we pay them for four weeks to, to watch CNN. But then after those payments stop, they, they go back to watching Fox News. So <laughs> even though we try to incentivize viewers to watch both Fox and, and CNN, they don't want to, to engage in that, that hard work. Mm-hmm. They, they want to really just watch the side that makes them feel good. Uh, and this is why the media has such an important responsibility to, to cover both sides, to, to hold both parties accountable. Okay. So here's what we have here. We've got Brian Stelter, all right, and these guys. Uh, Josh did a good job of tiptoeing around what he was really trying to say, which is, yes, CNN, you're just as bad as Fox News. You don't have a fucking moral high ground. This is a fucking problem. I'm not playing both sides as I'm here. I'm pointing out a real, tangible problem that's creating division in our country that you thrive on because your fucking agenda has to do with getting eyes on bullshit and not holding anyone to account because those are the people that are buying ads on your bullshit fucking show and making sure that half the country hates the other half of the country that's your agenda 
And that's Fox News' agenda. Brian Stelter, you are not any better than Laura Ingram, okay? You're both clowns. You're both clowns, and you have more in common than either one of you would like to admit. Because you're dishonest, and you're a joke, and your ratings are trash, and your network is falling apart. That's what Josh needed to say. But he didn't. But we see this all the time, this partisan filtering. The biggest media outlet that's grown over the past couple of years is independent media. I mean, it, it's astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing to see. the. And it's beautiful to see this more, more democratic, more open source, more transparent forms of media growing. And yeah, there are some grifter fuckheads in there too, right? Like Steven Crowder exists, right? Like that's, that's clownish in its own way. And so does uh, Hassan Piker. These people are stacking cash, being assholes. But it is what it is, right? There's got to be some of that. But in general, people are able to get better, more genuine off information outside of corporate media. And Brian Stelter defends this. He's like, well, you're not watching the same CNN I'm watching. I'm like, no, dude. I'm watching the same CNN through a different lens that you have zero, zero ability to relate to. Right? I mean, it's just so, it's like, it's beyond partisan filtering, right? Because the experience you have in life kind of creates this lens in which you view reality. And I think it's really important. I think experiences and being open to experiences is one of the most impactful aspects of life that you can really impart on yourself. And some people like me are kind of born with that naturally. Like, I love seeking experiences and novelty and these different things. I love that. But a lot of people don't. But looking at that, and I recommend uh, the Big Five. Jordan Peterson has this on his website. If you want to check it out and just see where you're at on this, but like openness to experience can lead to a lot of fulfillment, a lot of chaos in your life as well. If you really take it too far, but that openness is there. And what we see in our partisan media is a lack of openness across the board, a lack of openness everywhere. Right, the people at CNN and the CNN loyalists aren't open to hearing someone else's perspective from the other side of the political spectrum, and the same goes for Fox News and Fox News loyalists. They don't, the facts aren't important to them. Now they both think they're ingesting more facts than the other group, but that's by no means reality. They're being led by emotion, right? Being led by emotion, emotion and intuition will drive you where it wants to go. And confirmation bias will do the rest to make you believe that they're facts. It's just how it goes. And it's not a problem with you or me or everybody. It's human fucking nature, man. And we need to understand this about ourselves, but nobody wants to articulate that. Nobody wants to articulate the fact that confirmation bias is a humongous part of a a productive part of human nature. We need that, right? We need it to survive. And also it's slippery as fuck and it can cause problems. That is how human psychology works. It's okay. Everything has a dark side. But now, instead of that being the reality, we can kind of like play with that and, and go back and forth and challenge ourselves. We found ourselves siloed into exactly what to confirm what we already think we believe, right? And notice that I say we, what we think we believe, not what we actually believe, because we're being told what to believe all over the place, whether it be from wokeness or Christianity or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a framework for compliance. And I, I can't stand it. You know, it, it runs counter to every, every fiber in my being. And it's really, it's challenging for me to watch. It really fucks with me more than I, more than I let on. Um, but to see Stelter try and fucking defend himself here in such a 
clownish way, I had to share this with you guys. Because, I mean, <laughs> the lack of self-awareness is just embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. And it's sad. You know, it's sad that these people, I mean, I will never forgive Glenn Beck for radicalizing my grandmother. And the last couple of years of my life that I got to spend with my grandmother was her talking about Obama's fucking birth certificate. The woman who raised me, who took me in as a five-year-old kid, the last couple of years of her life, I got the pleasure of talking to her about Obama's fucking birth certificate. That's what I got to do thanks to Glenn Beck and his fucking kooky bullshit. I've experienced this shit, man. It's hard. It's hard. So, fuck Brian Stelter, fuck Glenn Beck, fuck Laura Ingram. They're all full of shit, and they need to understand that about themselves. They need to have a reckoning. We need to sit all these motherfuckers down in a room. Actually, even better than that, here's my proposition for all these assholes. And I, I'm trying to like call name call less, but goddamn, it's hard. I want to take every one of them. Stelter, Don Lemon, Tucker, Laura, uh, that other weird guy on uh, Gutfeld on Fox. I want to take them all. I'm going to put them in a little room, a little dark room that's comfortable but dark, and give them five grams of mushrooms ground up. Penis envy mushrooms, the dark ones, the ones that'll really fuck with you, right? Grind them up into a fine powder, mix them with some hot tea, drop a little lemon in there, give them a cube of chocolate, send them on their way, watch them drink it all, make sure they get around the rim too, get it all, go in that room, and you'll be in there for the next six hours, we'll see you when you come out. And none of those motherfuckers would walk out that room the same person. Because they'd have to actually atone for their bullshit. Now, if you're a Christian, you can pretend that you atone by asking for forgiveness, and that's one thing. But actually atoning for it, and the, the 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 terrifying darkness that you've spread out of the world, right? And noticing that, and seeing that, and feeling that—that's atonement. That's atonement, and that's what I would like to see from all these motherfuckers. So CNN. <laughs> That's had a rough go of it this year. They tried to get into the streaming game. Like, hey, you know, we really need to get this other audience out here uh, that are that are streaming. You know, they're out here streaming. And uh, we need to get our, our uh, propaganda in front of their eyes, right? We need to compete with these other streaming services, right? So you have – everybody's doing this. Fox has done this. And Fox Nation, I think is what it's called. Paramount Plus. Um, whatever. All this other bullshit. CNN Plus came out and like, hey, we're going to put $250 million into this. $250 million right? That's a quarter of a billion dollars into this thing. And I, you know, I, I gotta say that I'm, I'm impressed with the results here. They've uh, drawn fewer than 10,000 daily viewers. CNN plus reportedly draws fewer than 10,000 daily viewers. Now what they've done is fired the CFO of CNN, I believe. And uh, they've suspended all outside marketing spend on promoting CNN plus because it sucks. 250 million dollars if i just had like an extra 250 dollars i could do more than that <laughs> like this is crazy i mean when you think about the people that have put together really amazing platforms online and then a good job let's just think like and i don't say amazing isn't like i agree with everything they say but like big audiences tim pool for example i would say his whole setup at this point probably cost about 20 grand Maybe 30, depending on what he has on the back end. Even Rogan's audio setup and what he's done and where he started, 20, 30 grand, right? I mean, <laughs> breaking points, 50 grand. 
startup cost. And they even hired people. So it's like you spent $250 million and you couldn't figure it out. When the writing's on the wall, the writing is on. All you have to do is provide people with some nuanced, independent content. And you had the golden opportunity to do that on your platform, right? By hiring some people that do a good job, paying them pretty well, and letting them free. Letting them just do their thing and not interfering with it. And providing them a foundation to grow. That's what you do. But you go hire Chris Wallace from Fox News and you think that's going to do something. That's, you take people out of your shitty slots on your daytime TV bullshit and you put them on CNN Plus as if that's going to bring people over. People don't even choose to watch that. It's just kind of on in airports. I mean, CNN Plus, guys, is, 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 is real CNN. The amount of attention and the amount of, of, of interest that was put into CNN Plus by the American public is the interest in CNN. That's it. Less than 10,000 daily viewers. I can post two IGTVs in a day, and if they're good, I'll get more than 10,000 viewers. I mean, shit, when I was doing well on TikTok, I was getting three, two, uh, 200 to 300,000 page views a day before I got booted off of there. 10,000 daily viewers. Wow. I am just... It's worse than I could have imagined. And they spent all that money. Chris Wallace still got paid. Um, Nicole, what's her name, still got paid. (sighs) Handouts, baby. Handouts. CNN Plus. Better luck next time, baby. Libs of TikTok. And Taylor Lorenz. I know you guys have been waiting for this one. I'm going to just go ahead and um, state kind of my stance on the Libs of TikTok page. Um, I will tell you I don't like Taylor Lorenz. I don't like what she does. I think she's a tattletale, and that's her job, uh, which is obnoxious. But uh, And I feel zero sympathy for her. So that's where I'm at with this. But this is one of those really interesting things where I understand where both sides are coming from, but I am going to approach this with a little bit more nuance than what I've I've seen. Um, I don't consider what happened here where brief story, the person who owns this lips of TikTok page, you all know what it is, uh, was anonymous for a long time. Uh, she has 650,000 followers at the time of the article. She's actually gained about 250,000 more followers since the article released. So Streisand effect in full effect. Um, I don't really see sharing her name or, or exposing who this person is as doxing. Um, if you have that much influence, I mean, you're approaching quickly approaching a million followers on Twitter. I think, I think putting your name out there is, is, is fair game. Um, I would think that would be great for, I would say the same thing. If it was a black lives matter or whatever other partisan, you know, organization or, or page, I'm on board with all of that. I think it'd be really important to know if this is backed by some kind of major media outlet or corporation. I mean, there's so many things that are are telling by just knowing that this is a single person behind this page, uh, this lives of TikTok page. That said, um, this article, and we'll pull this up right now. This article in the in the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, by the way, um, isn't good. Now, there's a story here, right? 
if you want to do an expose on this, this, this woman who runs this page and why she does it and how she got there and what it's about and, and what she thinks and what she feels. Yeah. I mean, okay. There's a story there, but this article doesn't share that story. It doesn't really share any story. It talks about Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and these other people, but it doesn't really ever get into like why or who this person is or what her experience is or what experiences led her to this place. And you're never going to give her an opportunity to tell that story, right? Somebody will, she'll be on Fox news or something and she'll have that conversation. Um, that being said, I mean, I don't think that the libs of TikTok page is anything great. I think that it has caused some problems and I think it's also exposed some things that people wanted to believe wasn't real. So there's both. I mean, maybe I'm playing some both sides of some here, I guess is what, what Brian Stelter would say. But I think, you know, this idea that calling people groomers is productive is just as, just as nefarious as, as everybody on the left calling everybody on the right racist. Like, I think that those things are both uh, equally as egregious. I think that it does create some like real world situations where people get seriously harmed uh, and things may be taken out of context and it does create a mob mentality around um, doxing people, threatening people in real life. And that's, that's a problem. That's absolutely a problem. Now the issue is, this is a partisan thing, right? If you're pointing in the other direction, it's fine, right? I mean, excuse me. If you're pointing in the if you're pointing in the other direction, it's a problem. But if you're taking out somebody on the right, it's because you're you're fighting fascism or some crazy shit. So we're in this really weird place here, where there's a lot of like they did share her place of work and what she did, which is doxing and which is against Twitter's terms of service. So I would like to see somebody punished for that, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, We've got this situation here where it's like, okay, you have a tattletale journalist on the left, right? Explicitly on the left, who is a crybaby and a child. Um, and then you have this other person on the right here who is not really sharing anything that wasn't public. I don't, I, she hasn't done like the Project Veritas deceptive editing type thing. She just reposts people's stuff. Now, is it out of context sometimes? Of course it is. But this, what these people are saying. Right, it's what these people are saying and what they're saying openly on TikTok, and it's sometimes it is like the bottom of the barrel crazy people on the left with purple hair doing whatever, yelling and screaming and being crazy, and that is entertaining to watch. It's quite funny to watch. It's more funny than watching crazy conservatives. Watching crazy conservatives is like comical in a different way. It's not nearly as animated oftentimes, but it is quite funny. And watching those clowns on both sides is entertaining, and you can grow an audience doing that. I've even thought about doing the same thing that. Uh, Brett Cooper does except taking people on the right that I find on TikTok and like embarrassing children that are saying bad ideas. Like that's what Ben Shapiro built his career on is going to colleges and arguing with 19 year olds about their bad ideas. I don't really feel like that's helpful or productive. I think it's just like a way to get clicks. So <laughs> it's weird, but this account has fueled a lot of legislation and discussion when it comes to like the don't say gay bill and CRT and things that are going on in schools, particularly. Um, now, she does have this kind of narrative of like, they're coming for your kids and this and that. Like it's again, I don't agree with this woman. I don't think her and I would have much common ground at all, but I do respect her right to say what she wants to say and share things that are public and to do her thing. Even though I don't agree with her at all on many things. I mean, I see her, I see her posting stuff sometimes and I've, I've taken a glance at it. I'm not a real big follower, but I've seen it people being outraged and I'm like, you're just looking at your straw manning times 3000, right? Like that's all you're doing here. You're just finding the craziest person that's going to represent the whole left 
and you're just strawmanning to the nth degree. And that I think is it's it's not intellectually honest, but what about any of this shit is intellectually honest, right? Is Taylor Lorenz intellectually honest? No. Like this article is hot garbage. You know, it doesn't it doesn't even tell a story. It's just like it's complaining. It's just complaining about a thing that you don't like and and pretending that that's journalism. It's not. It's not. So I find people whose identity is owning the libs equally as obnoxious as people identity is convincing everybody that Trump supporters are, are fascist, right? It's like, it's just, it's, it's the same, same, but different to me. And that's part of being politically homeless is standing here in the middle and looking around and being like, man, these people are fucking crazy. You know, they're fucking crazy. Um, but there could have been some value here and there wasn't. So let's just read through a little bit of this article here. We're going to read through the first kind of section. On March 8th, a Twitter account called Libs of TikTok posted a video of a woman teaching sex education to children in Kentucky, calling the video, the woman in the video, a predator. The next evening, the same clip was featured on Laura Ingram's Fox News program, prompting the host to ask, where did our, or when did our public schools, any schools, become what essentially are grooming centers for gender identity radicals? Now, notice that she doesn't play the video here. Right? I don't have access to that video. I don't know where that video is, and I don't really feel like digging it up. But if you have a point to make, you would do what a journalist does. And in that, where it says um, posted a video, that would be a hot link to the video. So you would just boop, click that. Oh, what, what are they talking about here? Notice that doesn't happen. Evidence of bias. Uh, libs of TikTok repost a steady stream of TikTok videos and social media posts, primarily from the LBGTQ plus community, often including incendiary framing and designed to generate outrage. Videos shared from the account quickly find their way to the most influential names on right-wing media. Um, the account has emerged as a powerful force on the internet, shaping right-wing media, impacting anti-LBGTQ plus legislation, and influencing millions by posting viral videos aimed at inciting outrage among the right. I can't say that that's not her intention. I think that's absolutely her intention. But again, she's not sharing anything that's not real. She's not making this shit up. She's not doing deep fakes. This is real stuff that real people say, and she has a right to post it. The anonymous account's impact is deep and far-reaching. Its content has amplified high-profile media figures, politicians, and right-wing influencers. Its tweets reach millions, with influence spreading from beyond its its more than 648,000 followers on Twitter. Now it's about 900,000. Uh, Libs of TikTok has become an agenda setter in right-wing online discourse, and the content it surfaces uh, shows a direct correlation with the recent push in legislation and rhetoric directly targeting the LGBTQ plus community. Quote, Libs of TikTok is basically acting as a wire service from uh, broader right-wing media ecosystems, said Ari Drennan, LBGTQ program director for Media Matters, the progressive media watchdog group. That's hilarious. Watchdog group, my ass. Um, it's been sharing public policy. In a, it's been shape, shaping public policy in a real way and affecting teachers' abilities to feel safe in their classrooms. That's probably true. <laughs> the account has been promoted by podcast host Joe Rogan, and it's been featured in the New York Post, the Federal Federalist, and Post Millennial, and a slew of other right-wing sites. Megan McCain has retweeted it. And check this out. This is beautiful. The online influencer Glenn Greenwald has amplified it to his 1.8 million Twitter followers by calling himself the account's godfather. The online influencer Glenn Greenwald. Are you fucking kidding me here, dude? Online influencer, Glenn Greenwald, is a journalist. You, Lorenz Taylor, are an online influencer and a tattletale. You are not a journalist, okay? Glenn Greenwald is not an influencer. 
Glenn Greenwald is a fucking journalist who's put his life at risk to speak truth to powerful institutions, to share real information with the American people. You, oh, okay. Calling it back, calling it back, calling it back, bringing it back on the name calling. We're, we're all right here. Okay. The online influencer Green Greenwald is amplified to his 1.8 million Twitter followers while calling himself the account's godfather. Last Thursday, the woman behind the account appeared anonymously on Tucker Carlson's show to complain about being temporarily suspended for violating Twitter's community guidelines, which you actually just did, Taylor. Fox News often creates news packages around the content that libs of TikTok has surfaced. <sighs> Through its increasingly popular post, and despite numerous media appearances, the account has remained anonymous, but the identity of the operator of Lives of TikTok is traceable through a complex online history that reveals someone who has been plugged into right-wing discourse for two years and is now helping to drive it. Chaya Rayachik had been working with a real estate salesperson in Brooklyn when in early 2020 she created the account that would eventually become Lives of TikTok. And she goes into the whole kind of origin story of Lives of TikTok here. And we're not going to read this whole thing, but I wanted to break down just a little bit of that just to see the whole article is basically that, right? It's a big nothing burger. There's nothing really going on here. Actually, Matt Taibbi, that's probably why I got that word from, uh, Matt Taibbi wrote an article about how this 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 article isn't, is a nothing burger. There's nothing in it. There's no story. There's no real journalism. There's nothing. It's just complaining and out of context shit, right? Which is the exact same thing as what Libs of TikTok does. So you responded to Libs of TikTok by doing the same fucking thing in your form. In your form, right? Zero nuance, zero empathy, zero understanding, zero questioning, zero self-reflection. The exact same thing that happens on the libs of TikTok page. And you're going to complain about that. Now, let's just get a, a little bit of context because it's important to know who Taylor Lorenz is, right? Because she recently was on MSNBC crying about being doxxed and online harassment which she has just invited onto another woman who disagrees with her. So it's okay to harass people that she doesn't agree with, but harassing her, even saying her name, is uh, threatening to her. Let's check this out here, this little montage. You've been doxxed, you've been threatened. You've been harassed by Tucker Carlson just for calling out online harassment. They'll, they'll threaten children, they'll threaten my parents. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide, it got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's... I bring a message from Her Majesty Taylor Lorenz. Freedom to any man who identifies the slave known as Libs of TikTok. I'm Libs of TikTok. No, I'm Libs of TikTok. <laughs> I didn't see that last part. It was pretty funny. Um... So yeah, I mean, this girl's sobbing over online harassment, and and then she's doing the same thing. She's opening up that she shared this lazy's place of work. Like, what the fuck do you think you're doing, dude? And what? And also, Taylor Lorenz, right? You would think if you're just like a gossip, tattletale journalist, you'd be like 23. She's like 40 years old. Like, what are you? Are you a child? Are you stunted? Why don't you do something real with your life here? Why? Why? I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. But here we are, right? And, and I know I've just been talking in circles here, and and it, it's hard to really wrap my mind around, but I just wanted to kind of talk it out with you guys because we're in this situation here where none of this is 
None of this is productive. None of this is helpful. None of this does anything to move anything forward. None of this encourages discourse. None of this really like gets anybody thinking about anything. It fuels hatred. That's what Libs of TikTok does, and that's what Lorenz does. They fuel hatred. They thrive on hatred. That is their bread and butter. And they get cheered on by people who think they're doing something virtuous and 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 they're and they're they're they're, they're fighting injustice, but they're not. Neither one of them are. They're partisan hacks. They are partisan hacks. At least lives of TikTok is funny. At least it's funny. Lorenz has never been funny a day in her life. I mean, she was the same person that was on the Clubhouse app screenshotting people saying retard. Or screen recording them. And and and, and writing an article about it. Because somebody said retarded. Why? What does that do? Does that help mentally handicapped people? Does that do anything? Does it reduce harm in some meaningful way? No, it doesn't. It brings you attention because you're a narcissistic bitch. God damn it, I'm trying here. I'm trying here with the name calling. Okay. Dialing it back, bringing it back. And I also love how they have like Jesse Waterson, whatever that guy. He looks like a coked out soccer coach. And, and then you have Tucker Carlson here. Then you have like drunk wine mom, Laura Ingram here. And then Joe Rogan. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not like the other. Our culture has been robbed of any substance. Our, this, this, our generation is not going to produce a Noam Chomsky. It will, it will produce no great thinkers. The closest we have to great thinkers in our generation is shit posters, which is exactly who these two women are bickering with each other on the internet. They're both just shit posters. So there's that. There's that. I know that wasn't what a lot of you wanted where I just railed on Taylor Lorenz for being Taylor Lorenz, but hey, we're politically homeless, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do my thing here. I gotta do my bit, my shtick of being, hey, uh, principled. I don't know. Maybe they're both fucking full of shit, and maybe this is just really obnoxious, and it drives no discourse in a meaningful way whatsoever. All right, we're gonna wrap up the state of things here today with a beautiful, a beautiful uh, montage slash trailer from Tucker Carlson's new uh, documentary called um, "The End of Men." On Fox News, I can't wait to watch this. And I actually have a lot, a pretty solid understanding of most things that are going on in this video. So let's just dive right in and we'll discuss on the other side. So we've got dramatic music playing, men with shirts off, jiu-jitsu. In the current year, the cycle continues. The guy tanning his balls here, Once flipping a tire. collapses then... You're in hard times. Well, hard iron sharpens iron, as they say. And those hard times inevitably produce men who are tough, men who are resourceful, men who are strong enough to survive. And then they go on to re-establish order. And so the cycle begins again. So... (laughs) (laughs) The 
thing about this trailer is that it is very homoerotic, right? Like, so you have, it kind of starts off with a guy doing red light therapy on his balls, which actually red light therapy is um, proven is to be really good for you. I mean, it's a, I can't really think of any reason it wouldn't be. It's, it's a thing. It, I don't know. I mean, your balls and your dick are definitely going to have a lot of more blood flow. So there's probably some kind of correlation there to, to putting red light therapy on your dong and your balls. That's cool. I know there's, there's, there's some People that believe like putting it, you know, getting your taint in your asshole too is good. That's one thing. Okay, so you got a shirtless guy naked, red light therapy hanging his balls. You got a guy drinking like a tin eggs out of a raw eggs with his shirt off in the sunset. It's like silhouetted. Um, you've got a guy flipping a tire. You've got some guys do jujitsu. You got a guy shooting what looked like an AR ten or a scar. Um, also shirtless. And then you got some more red light therapy here, shirtless. It's just like, can any of these guys have a shirt on? And like, what, a, what the end of men, right? Like what does any of this shit have to do with masculinity? And they have this kind of background of, uh, what is it like hard times make strong men, strong men make easy times, easy times make soft men, that whole thing, which is like, there is some truth to that, right? There is some truth to that. And I'll bring an example from my own personal life about masculinity and men. Okay. Hard times created my grandfather. Grandfather dropped out of school in the seventh grade. He was a fry cook at the Air Force Base, started working on a pulling rig, uh, oil and gas work at like 17, 18. Then he's, you know, a few years later, he was running a rig. Then he bought a rig. Then he did the thing. Come from the bottom, like um, uh, Cinderella kind of story here. Became a millionaire, did the whole thing, like worked his ass off. And that created my environment because I grew up with my grandparents, which I admittedly am a softer man than my grandfather. But being soft or hard doesn't necessarily correlate to quality of life, okay? Because I have a little bit more freedom. I get to do the things with my life that my grandfather never had the opportunity to do with his. And he lives vicariously through me as he's late in life now. And every time I get to see him, I just like cherish that because he's my fucking hero. But because of his hardness and being the hardest man I've ever been around, right? Just a roughneck, hard motherfucker. Like that instilled some things in me, but I also got to take that into my softer reality, right? Where I got to own a gym and work in the fitness industry and try different things and do different things. I didn't have to pick a job at 17 to support my family and keep it for 50 fucking years. Okay. So there's like a, there, there's a, there's a cost benefit there, right? Like you got to say, okay, where, what am I giving up for this? And I don't think standing in front of a red light panel makes you more of a man. Drinking fucking six raw eggs out of a glass, it doesn't make you more of a man. Eating raw liver doesn't make you more of a man. Working out does not make you more of a man. Being good at choking people in jiu-jitsu does not make you more of a man. How you show up in your fucking life and how you, how you stand up for people and the values that you espouse, that is masculinity, right? Focus, discipline in some ways is masculinity. That's manliness. Like I'm six foot four and 220 pounds. Okay. I'm very like, I look like a fucking man. I got a mustache. I got a beard. I shoot guns. None of those things. Deadlifting 600 pounds. None of that shit makes me more of a man. None of it. Not one single fucking thing. Now I would show up for my kids, my wife, my family, what I do around the house. That says something about me. Has zero to do with my fucking muscle density. Doesn't have to do with red light panels. And I can tell you, as somebody who's been around a lot of people who have red light panels and drink raw eggs and eat carnivore, a lot of them are fucking pussies. A lot of them are pussies. And they talk about masculinity and they think that they're masculine, but they're pussies. 
And that's the way it is. That's not always the case. You know, if you want to see like the pinnacle of masculinity, go look at like Tim Kennedy or somebody like that. The fucking savage, hard dude. But that's not always the best. When you look like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So there's like a lot of nuance to this. Now, as we talk about what they're going to discuss in this, decreased testosterone, decreased sperm counts, decreased body mass in men, a lot of that is the product of the economic structure that we've set in place in the United States. Plastics, what's in our food, what's been allowed to be in our food, how we've propped up uh, poverty foods like corn, wheat, and soy, right? These are all things that contributed to that. Right, The plastics we drink out of as a kid out of our bottles was putting toxins into our body that damage our reproductive system and our endocrine system. That was a place for regulation, not a free market. Because the free market doesn't make decisions on latent disabilities. Does it? Very often? Right? Didn't Dow Chemical like put Teflon on pans and it, like, they knew it was poisoning people, but they did it anyways for like decades? And hey, guess what? They still exist. Oh, no, that was DuPont. Excuse me. So there's a lot going on here. There is a lot going on here. And there's a lot of discussion to be had about this. Now, is his trailer pretty homoerotic? Yes. Yes, it very much is. Do I think it's good that we're having this conversation? I actually do. I think that health and, te- and, and hormone health, endocrine system health, which is what drives your hormones, it's your endocrine system, is really important. Having decreased testosterone has to deal with depression, body composition, drive, motivation, confidence. Right? These are all a lot of the, a lot of your decision making isn't actually driven. We talked about this with free will earlier. Isn't necessarily driven by your like freedom. It's driven by your endocrine system. Right. It's the same way, uh, case in point, if you think I'm full of shit, think about a woman on their period. And ladies, I know there's a lot of you out there, think about when you're on your period. Do you act different? Do you feel different? Are your decision-making, is your decision-making a little different? And men, I know you don't have periods, but you do go through hormone cycles that will change things. Now, for those of you that have never been on testosterone, you don't understand how that works, but when you artificially inflate your testosterone levels, you become a different fucking person. Now, if you're a violent person, you become more keen to do some violence. If you're not, it could be really good for you. I've recently gotten back on testosterone. I feel fucking awesome. My mood's better. My drive's better. My shows are better. I feel good. My workouts are better. I've got decreased inflammation in my body. It feels awesome, right? So these things do influence this, these conversations. And I think de- demonizing masculinity is silly, right? This like toxic masculinity trope. But that being said, there are a lot of people, a lot of guys out there with small dick energy that treat people like shit. Right. And what I, what you would call toxic masculinity, I just call small dick energy. Right. It's like, well, somebody made some, some chick laugh at your dick a while back and like you're fucking bitter about it and you're mean to people because of it. Small dick energy. So, you know, I think there's a, a really nuanced conversation to be had about this, but I don't really see it happening for people who have a, a, a solid understanding of the endocrine system, masculinity, femininity, the powers of both. Right. Uh, there's some David Data books that are really good at that. Uh, the Way of the Superior Man is a pretty good one. Um, Intimate Communion is another good one when it comes to masculinity and femininity and the balance. And there's incredible power in both of those. Now, I will say, as a culture, we have leaned more towards one than the other. And that has caused some problems, right? That has caused some problems. As a culture, we could do with a little bit of a healthy feminine. 
infused into what we are doing here. And healthy femininity breeds and encourages healthy masculinity. These things go together. One is not more powerful than the other. Maybe physically, that's one thing. We're not talking about like trans women in sports here, but like on a uh, psychosomatic level, they feed off of each other. They drive one another. Healthy femininity drives healthy masculinity. That's important to understand. So we've got biological factors. We've got psychological factors. We've got a lot of things playing in here. But we've got to keep in mind that we've been out of balance for a long time, and it's swinging back in a really unhealthy way. And I understand why some people would feel threatened by this, but I don't think Tucker Carlson really represents masculinity. I don't think any man on Fox News represents masculinity that well. Right? I mean, how much masculinity can you espouse when you put makeup on every day for your job? Right? And not to say that, and this is maybe controversial for some people who have have like a kind of a uh, black and white way of viewing things. But like a lot of men that are really strong, powerful men are more feminine than they are masculine. And they generally marry women who can be beautiful, feminine-looking women but are more masculine in the way they present themselves than they are feminine. And those people usually do well together. Now, I have a, a, one of my old bosses was in a relationship like that. He's much more feminine, creative, in that lives in that world. His wife is much more masculine in the way that we, she shows up. And he was, uh, he, was, uh, he was on the podium at the CrossFit Games. He's a fucking, he's, he's, a, he's a beast. You know? So we got to be mindful of all these things. It's really complex and, 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 and nuanced. So one, Tucker made a really homoerotic video here, which is entertaining in itself. And he's on to something here, but I have a serious doubts about this being really nuanced in the way it needs to be to address men, women, where we're at, where we're going, where we've been. There's a big conversation to be had there, and you have to have a solid understanding of like not only biology, the endocrine system, how that's been damaged by toxins and things like that, but also masculinity and femininity at large and how that all plays together and how those things, that delicate dance that happens between masculinity and femininity. Right, and one of the best examples I've I've uh, ever heard of was from David Data, and he talks about the difference in 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 masculinity and femininity, and I think it was really beautiful. He says, uh, "The masculine is the ship, right? It's a ship. It has a per- has a course, it has a purpose. It goes, it moves, it does its thing, right? Femininity is the ocean, right? Femininity is the ocean. The ship is on the ocean. It's cruising. It's doing its thing with cooperation." From the ocean. And if the ocean makes its mind up that it's going to swallow that fucking ship whole and put it on the bottom, by God, it will. And you don't fuck with the ocean. You can fuck with the ship, but you don't fuck with the ocean. And that's one of my favorite descriptors of masculinity and femininity when it comes to the scale, the power, and the strengths of each one. Now it's time for that part of the show where I give you something to think about. All right, so this is going to be a little bit different because um, getting this new laptop has opened up some possibilities for me <laughs> in a good way. So here's what I want you to think about. And again, this is a request, and I understand I'm not providing that normal content that I normally do, but I really need your help. 
we know that we're fighting an uphill battle here at Politically Homeless um, when it comes to content suppression and things like that. It's been frustrating, but it's a fight worth fighting. And I think that if we just keep pounding through, there's more and more people that are joining this camp and, and really want to have these kind of discussions. Um, within the Patreon, we have certain things planned as far as where this is going, thought criminals, and those conversations are moving well as, as, as well. Um, now they've kind of gotten to the other side of this Russia-Ukraine stuff where it's kind of settled out into like what it's going to be for the foreseeable future, it seems. So we can get into having some more conversations, more dialogue. I love that. That's going to be really fun. Thought Criminals is a really fun show, and I really enjoy doing that. And again, the Patreon, those premium episodes every week are also super, super fun. But for all of you out there that aren't involved in the Patreon, which I, of course, would love to have you over there at patreon.com slash politically homeless, I really give a shit what you have to say. If you don't pay me a dime, I, the fact that you're here says a lot to me. The fact that you've listened to almost two hours of, of content now uh, from me means the world to me. And what I want you to think about, and I want you to what you what I want you to share with me is what you want to see from politically homeless going forward, right? YouTube hates us. Um, don't really have a Twitter audience. Facebook, uh, Instagram does pretty well, um, but I want to know what you want to see. Do you want to see more conversations? Do you want to see more reaction videos? Do you want to see more Q&A? Like, I'm really open to where this is going. We've been doing this for about two years now. I've been pretty happy, but we are getting a little bit stagnant. A lot of that has to do with content suppression and things like that. Um, and I've said some things that are, you know, challenge the narrative on things like Ukraine and trans issues and stuff like that. So I know that I'm playing that game, but the biggest thing I can do, I feel, to to mitigate that is really listen and give a shit about what you guys want, where you want this to go, what you want to see, um, where you feel like the blind spots are, what could be better. So what I want you to think about is feedback and ideas that you can shoot my way to create better content for you. So it's a little more actionable than your, your normal, something to think about, um, but I really would appreciate that. And it would mean the world to me. If you could just like find me on Instagram, do whatever. Um, just let me know what you think, where you want to see this go and where you think we could do better. You know, it is just me over here besides Josh, our great video editor that does all the video editing. But as far as everything you see on the screen, aside from, uh, aside from animations and stuff, all that stuff is done live, which does present its fair share of consequences. I do all that sitting here as I'm talking to you guys, um, from fading in and out of the music to switching videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, of course, we can't afford to have a team yet. I would love for the Patreon to grow so we could start bringing somebody in. I'd love to have a producer in studio and stuff like that. But outside of like stuff that's going to cost me a shit ton of money, um, what can we do? What can we do to provide you with more content, better content? What can we do to change the structure? All of those things are really important to me to understand. And I think that you guys that are out there listening, the, the audience is the best place uh, to get that information. So find me on Instagram. Shoot me an email. Um, We'll figure it out. Connor at politicallyhomeless.us is my email. Um, so just check that out. Let me know what you think. Where do you want to see this go? What can we do better? How can we serve you guys better? Um, and what can I do to get you over to the fucking Patreon where we're actually making some things happen? Patreon.com slash politicallyhomeless. I love you guys. Thank you for being here. Please send me your feedback. You know, even if your ideas are crazy and silly, it's all good. Just let me know. Let me know what you like. And I'm, I'm open to feet. Like I said, if there's something you don't like as far as structure goes, if you're going to be criticizing like my, if you want to sit in there and argue with me about like my ideology and where I land, that's not what we're talking about here. Show structure, content. Where can we go? What can we do better? Let us know. That's something to think about today. Keep your head on straight. I love you guys. We'll see you next time. Make sure to support our sponsors. And again, patreon.com slash politically homeless. Bye-bye.